Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. One of the most obvious symbols of American football is the helmet. And we have had quite an evolution over the years of the helmet, from no helmet to the helmets that we have today of players they are trying to be safer and safer. Well, today, Timothy Brown of Football Archaeology visits to talk about the evolution from leather to plastic. Tim's done the research, and he's going to share it with us in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal of positive football history. And we like to look down that portal every Tuesday and go into some football archaeology with our friend Tim Brown of that very site, Football Archaeology. Uh, Tim Brown, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to chatting once again yeah we are really enjoying these uh these tuesday meetings that we have and uh you know talking about some different aspects of football that are sort of some of them are a little uh out there that not you know directly related to the game some are real very directly related to the game but they're very all very interesting indeed and we really appreciate you sharing these with us yeah you know i just love i love uh kind of football in all dimensions the technical side of the game the fan experience, how it's handled in the media. And so uh, equipment and uniforms, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I just try to approach it from a different place, you know, every couple of days, just, you know, basically try to do, mix it up, you know, try to do some different things. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said you like to talk about the uniforms and some of the equipment, because I think that that's a subject I'd like to discuss today because you had a recent tidbit out and you called it the transition from leather to plastic. And it's one of those things that's not directly involved in the game of football, but it's such an important element of it and such a big change that, that happened to the game. And uh, sure like to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the, the development of plastic helmets and, and then, you know, metal reinforced, you know, uh, face masks, I think, you know, it was one of the, one of the defining elements of today's game. Um, and so, I mean, obviously a lot happened before that, but um, the, the game just has changed dramatically as a result of that development. Um, so, you know, I think the, the thing that's, that, you know, maybe people don't, don't recognize is that when they, um, when the Intercollegiate Football Association adopted effectively word for word adopted the rugby rules in 1876. I mean, they, they changed three or four rules, but nothing, nothing really significant. But one of the rules that came along from rugby was a rule that said basically that you could not, uh, players could not wear anything 
that had a hard substance and they cited a substance called gutta percha, which was some kind of rosin or, you know, it was, it was basically like what we might think of as an early plastic. And, it, you know, it came off of trees from Indonesia or whatever. But so, you know, anything that was hard could not be worn on the uniform. So, you know, all the protective gear early on was soft leathers, right? So when they had a, any kind of head harness, was a softer leather, it was heavily padded, uh, both on the outside and inside. You know, the shoulder pads that they wore were, you know, fairly, were, you know, just pads with filled with felt and horse hair and things like that. And they, they did use a little bit of sole leather, which is a harder leather, leather on helmets for a little bit around the turn of the last century. And then they got rid of those. You know, they basically outlawed them. So, so then, you know, football went, you know, continued with this no hard substances thing. And then, you know, for decades, and then they kind of started allowing a little bit more sturdy helmets, right? Um, Though still, those tended to be fairly soft on the outside. But then in 1940, uh, Rydell introduced plastic helmets. And uh, Northwestern was the first team to wear them. A few other teams had them early on. And then they also... um, the U.S. Army got a hold of them and actually borrowed helmets from West Point and then basically modified it. And then Rydell became a supplier to the Airborne. So, you know, Airborne trainees wore Rydell football helmets when they were jumping out of airplanes. You know, you see images of that um, here and there. But so so, uh, so the football helmet preceded the, the crash helmet that the pilots were, were wearing then. Yeah. So until then, you know, uh, there's there were people who tried, you know, I mean, if you think about the the early guys in planes were flying around like gliders, <laughs> you know, right. there was a if you were if you're going to hit the ground, you were really going to hit the ground. And so, you know, they tried to do tried to wear various types of pads on their head. But again, it was more like a football helmet. Um, and a lot of them, you, you think about the World War One Ace and Snoopy and everything, you know, they're just wearing a leather uh, kind of hood um but so they ended up um they started you know they they used the uh, because of you know world war ii supply issues that they really couldn't produce any more civilian helmets so it really wasn't until after world war ii that the helmets kicked in uh the plastic ones and so they they were adopted pretty pretty quickly but there were still a lot of people holding out there, you know, folks who just thought these things are too hard. They're causing a lot of injuries. Most guys didn't wear face masks at the time. So, you know, you got hit in the face by a hard helmet, you know, that didn't feel that good. So, and, you know, that's, I think, part of the reason why additional people um, started wearing face masks. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was just, there was this constant battle of should we, retain more of the rugby element where you don't pad up and then let the game go wherever it goes or do we try to protect players from particular i mean what the plastic helmet did was it protected people from skull fractures right i mean the leather helmet did that to some extent but not really plastic helmets did do that but again came at the cost of now you're hitting somebody else with a hard plastic helmet um and then coaches started teaching, you know, spearing and things like that. And, you know, then some of the blocking changed 
to take advantage of the hard helmet. Um, but they eventually you know, outruled all of that uh, or outlawed all, the, all of that. Um, so anyway, it was just kind of an interesting period of time. And, you know, really would think basically by like 61, 62, pretty much everybody had was switching over to uh, had switched over to plastic helmets. Um, you could still buy them, but you could still buy leather is what I meant. But typically it was they're selling, you know, pretty much all leather or all plastic. So, so it was such a, a long period of time to, you know, like over a decade, it sounds like maybe a couple of decades for that transition. It wasn't like a wide sweeping change where they, you know, the rules maker said next year, everybody wears plastic helmets. So you had games where probably some participants were wearing leather and some were wearing plastic. Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah. And in fact, oh. so the, this, that, um, that tidbit about the transitioning from leather to plastic there's an image or two that shows some guys wearing the old leather helmets with the straps, you know, um, crossing the head or crossing the, you know, the top of the helmet. Um, and then other guys in what's clearly a plastic helmet. So, you know, I think through probably 1949, 50, you would see a lot of that. And then after that, it became, you know, there were just certain people who just, Hey, this is a helmet. I always wore, I wore it in high school. So I'm going to continue wearing it. You had guys who didn't wear helmets at all. You know, you had the Tommy McDonald's of the world um, in the NFL who didn't wear a helmet. Um, so, but, you know, I think there were just some old school coaches who didn't, you know, who just thought that the, the leather helmet was safer. Um, I think they were wrong, but that's what they thought, you know? So, um, but the, you know, the other thing was that, you know, the, you know, the leather helmet, there was like a kind of, it wasn't a suspension system, but there, you know, there was padding inside of it. The, the early plastic helmets were all suspension systems, you know, and I don't know if you ever wore one of those, but I did, you know, and it was, yeah, I, I did too. <laughs> um, you know, it didn't offer anywhere near as much protection as the, <laughs> the padded and the air filled ones that, you know, I was able to wear a little bit later. Um, but, you know, the other thing that, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, there wasn't a rule that said you had to wear a plastic helmet. Um, that still really didn't come into place. Um, the, um, the National Testing Organization, I think it's people call it NOCSE, but N-O-C-S-A-E, always got the little stamp on the back of the helmets. Um, that opened its doors in 68, started certifying helmets in 73, and it wasn't until 78 that the NCAA required anyone playing in a game to have one of those you know, stickers on their helmet. Hmm. So, Interesting. That's uh, I didn't realize it was as recent as that. I was thinking it was back in the fifties or sixties, but hmm, yeah. very interesting. Now, you know, it was, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of, you know, testing, a lot of universities were involved in you know, testing the helmet quality um, Wayne state, uh, here in the Detroit area was big. Michigan was big on it. Uh, North Carolina was big on it. So, uh, you know, there were various, um, uh, Northwestern did a bunch of, uh, testing in the early sixties with like sensors to measure how hard, you know, the level of contact and, you know, the strength of the hits that were occurring. So anyway, so it's all academic research. And so it wasn't until somewhere in the seventies where they really kind of figured out and had a reasonable set of standards that, that they could even try to enforce. <laughs> Isn't it kind of interesting that uh, 
sort of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now we are perhaps seeing teams, all the NFL teams, I think had to wear the guardian cap over their hard shell, which yeah. is a, a softening. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the material is, but I know it's, it's like uh, dead deadens any blows that you take it to the head uh, where you, you know, have, instead of having that impact, you know, hard plastic to hard plastic, whatever the materials they make them out of now. And uh, it almost goes back to those days of the, the leather of, you know, that impact, but you still have the hard shell underneath it to, to give that extra protection. So kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, writing an article on the history of the padded, you know, the external pads uh, just, you know, part of, driven by, you know, kind of the prevalence of the, the guardian uh, pads, but, you know, so it's, it's an interesting thing. There was uh, Cornell did a lot of development work on that and, you know, their, their students or their players wore, I think it was just a strip, um, you know, through the middle, but the challenge that they had initially with the external padding was um, that the, like, if it's plastic to plastic, it's fairly clean hit. Boom, it's that's it. Whereas with the padding that they were, had then, the the two uh, helmets stayed in contact with one another and, and increased the force and increased some of the torque. So that was part of the reason why that never really went forward. And I think that's probably still part of the case, but I, you know, I'm not enough of a technologist to know that. Well, just as a side note, the I think, you probably remember the pro caps in the 1990s. I think a couple of members of the Buffalo Bills wore them. Um, they were sort of like that, um, almost like a styrofoam, almost like a wrestling mat type material that you'd put over top of yep. the, the helmet. Those were made uh, or actually founded a guy about five, uh, 10 miles from here, founded them here near Erie, Pennsylvania. And they were making those. So, but never, never took off though. Well, actually, I think it's called the thing was called material is called insulite but that's the stuff that uh, cornell initially put on top of their helmets and then ohio state oklahoma uh, duke others used them um that was also insulite was the first material used to create the initial like wrestling mats that weren't made of you know horse hair and felt and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> So there's a connection between the two. I mean, it was so, so when I described it as a wrestling mat, I wasn't too yeah. far off then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, very interesting. Well, Tim, you, you did it once again. You educated us on something that was a little bit off the beaten path that uh, maybe us football fans wouldn't uh, pay attention to, but your, your keen eye caught another one. And we appreciate that. Uh, why don't you let folks know uh, where, where they can find more of your material and uh, follow you on social media? Yeah. So um you can just find me at uh, footballarchaeology.com. Uh, there's an option. To, there's always an option to subscribe. And if you subscribe, you'll get the, the content into your uh, email box whenever I you know post anything, which is at least once a day. Um, otherwise, follow me on Twitter. Um, and again, just look for football archaeology and you should be able to find me. Okay. Tim Brown, football archaeology. Thank you very much once again. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, cool. Thanks, Darren. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history.
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.